0: Welcome to Coaching for a Living, a podcast for coaches who want to build financially viable coaching businesses and make a living doing what they love. I'm your host, Alisa Barkan, and I am thrilled to have you here. Are you ready to take the next step in your coaching business? Let's go. Hello, allow, onion rings. Welcome to Coaching for a Living, friends. I'm so excited to have you here and I am excited for the conversation I'm about to have with our guests on today's episode, because we're going to talk about the importance of thinking like a business owner and the mindset shifts that need to happen when someone decides to start a coaching business. And there is no better person to have this conversation with than my friend and colleague, David Lansfield. David is a catalyst, strategist, and coach to senior executives, professionals, and entrepreneurs, helping them achieve extraordinary outcomes. He has worked with hundreds of senior leaders from companies such as the BBC, Microsoft, Royal Mail, Vodafone, Virgin Media, Channel 4, and The Guardian, to name just a few, which is very impressive given that he only started his coaching business in 2020, as you do in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) David is also the host of the Lansfield on the Line podcast. He writes for Harvard Business Review and is a guest lecturer at the London Business School. Not only this, but hold on to your chairs, people. He only works part time in his business. David, (laughs) welcome to
1: the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you for that kind introduction, Lisa. I, I should say that those clients, some of them have been in the last couple of years. Some of them were in my previous life. Just to be fair, before some of them come forward. But the rest of it is accurate. So all thank right. You.
0: Well, fair enough, but still very, very impressive. And I'm, I'm pretty sure people are very curious, and so am I, to learn how you fit it all in. But before we move into that, um, I want us to start with the beginning. Um, tell us a little bit about your story of becoming a coach.
2: So I've been a management consultant all my career, and I've been doing coaching without using the term probably wasn't the term you'd use in that industry it was a bit probably a bit too soft but i loved getting into the the minds the hearts the souls of of the clients because effectively what you're trying to do is affect change in different shapes and form a new strategy a new venture a new culture um and i guess over time i wanted to work more and more with the individuals to understand what really makes them tick uh, and so yes i was leading big projects for those big organisations. But I got to the point in my life where I thought, hey, let's try something new. I've been a partner for 14 years, been in the same firm for a long time. I thought, let's try something new. Let's go out on my own uh, and let's build uh, a bit of a portfolio around focusing on individuals and indeed teams, as opposed to running projects of 20, 50, 100 plus. That was the shift.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how you realize you've been doing coaching all along, but in an environment like that, they don't call it coaching because it might be too soft. Um, Do you think that is still the case now? Or are they becoming a bit more open towards admitting that there is coaching that happens inside their teams and uh, for their senior leaders and so on?
2: I think there's definitely a blending. I mean, there are more um, management consultants of different shapes and form who have a coaching background, qualification, as I I do. Uh, And I think there's a recognition that uh, if that the answers to the client's problems or challenges are in the heads of the clients. And yeah. the role of the consultant is to surface their imagination, surface their, you know, what, what the obstacles are to that change. And yes, there are moments where you need to be an expert. I still believe that's the case, where they say, what do you think? And you need yeah. to give them a perspective. You can't just say, oh, the one hand this, the one hand that, or just facilitate an answer. It doesn't mean you give them advice, but I think you have to give a perspective. But I think that's a big shift for many consultants, where I think often, uh, historically, it's been, um, thank you, you tell me all about the organisation, you tell me all about your challenges, we'll go away, we'll scurry away, work really, really long hours in a dark room, uh, and then come back and tell you the answer and present it beautifully. Um, Mm -hmm. That sounds like a caricature, it still happens, by the way. But I think the coaching mindset is one where, yes, you'll go away, do some thinking, do some analysis, um but actually you'll be doing more facilitation framing and encouraging them to think because ultimately you as a consultant and indeed a coach you should step away you shouldn't be there all the time it's a it's a an intervention if you like
0: yeah and it's a non dependency relationship right that's what Well it should be but often about. it's not and that's mm. not
2: healthy because if you've done a project or you've had a retained coaching relationship and when you step away their performance and their prospects as an organization or and individuals take a substantial dip you haven't done your job properly mm. you haven't built the capability and the confidence for them to carry on and, and indeed create their next leap forward um, but i think often both are complicit the client and the coach or the client and the consultant are complicit because they enjoy it it's good it's there's a win-win for both of them but mm. um i remember for many of my clients where either i sometimes said no to the work or said we're done in a polite way of course uh, actually at the time it could be quite difficult mm. but months later if not years later they came back and said you're right they may not have said it directly as that because they have to admit their their own sort of failings you're right to push us because actually we needed to breathe
1: mm.
2: we needed to build our own muscle uh, and do it on our own and we know you're there if you need the help but actually we need to do it on our own
0: i think what you've just described there is the you know the definition of ethics and coaching and making sure that the client is not dependent on you to get results and also as much as I don't like the term and I find it so cliche I think you what you've described there is that also the definition of empowering clients and I know this is such a, a an overly used word I empower people to do whatever but this is truly what we're doing it's just that Maybe we express it in a different way because that word has become overused. But that's what true coaches mean when they talk about empowerment.
2: Yes, and I think it is overused, but empowerment comes with responsibility. So that is responsibility for the care of that individual and and the contract, inverted commas, between you. I don't mean the legal contract, but the, the, the relationship between you. And that means that sometimes if they're ready to fly, let them fly, um, But you also are accountable for the results because if they can't see value, Hmm. whatever value means that could be um, doing well in a new new career, making a career transition or the organization, it could be some form of financial metric. If they can't attribute your contribution to that value, they will soon switch off or turn away or go elsewhere. Um, Empowerment for me is not just listening. This is where perhaps I, I differ from some other coaches. Yes, you've got to listen and create a safe space for them to talk, but there will be times where you have to be direct, uh, call out some hidden assumptions, some blind spots, uh, and actually give an opinion. Now, I don't believe you come in straight away and say, hey, there's a great chemistry session, right, here's my opinion on what you do. Consultants often do that. But there, I think some coaches, and I have been coached myself a number of times, you get to the point where you say, okay, I know you're facilitating a process, you're questioning me, you're empowering me to think, But come on, you spent however many years in different organizations. Give me your stimulus as well. And Mm. too many coaches shy away from that, either because it's a confidence thing or they think it's not their role. And my view is you're not not giving the best of yourself. But, of course, make sure you don't cross the boundary where you're saying, I think you should do X. And that's a distinction with consultants because consultants often are asked Mm. to say, okay, what should we do to grow this organization or to change it?
0: I think you're right. Um, In the beginning, a lot of coaches fear this idea of saying what they think or giving advice or so on, because we are trained not to do that. But the more you work as a coach and practice, the more you realize that sometimes you do need to do those things. And as long as you're asking for permission to put another hat on, right? A consultant hat or a mentor hat or a teacher's hat, Um, I think it's absolutely fine. But I remember when I was starting out, I was like, no, I will never cross that boundary. I only want to do coaching and so on. And finally enough, now, five years later, I do more mentoring, consulting and teaching than I do coaching because of the type of work that I do.
2: Coaching is still a relatively new area and space in the business world. And I think it's up to the individual to shape what type of coach you are, whether you use that term, um, obviously that's the name of this podcast of course so we are going to use coach but who says that you can't share a perspective an observation or give a suggestion and it comes down to how well you frame it because if you go in with really blunt saying i think this and you haven't got that psychological safety of the individual that warmth and so on then mm-hmm. it's going to be rejected in it quite quickly but it's about the quality of the framing because if you say we've been interacting for the last three sessions. These are two or three observations and you, you seem to be going down a particular path, which is different from others I've worked with. I'm curious to know, understand what's making you do that. Most people on a good day would say, oh, tell me more.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, David, uh, I ha- I had to be very selective in my introduction and make sure I don't include everything that you do in your work because otherwise we would have been here all day but I'm sure the listeners are very curious to know. And so am I, how much time do you dedicate to your coaching business on a weekly basis, let's say, and most importantly, how do you fit it all in?
2: So yes, I probably should be doing like a Laura Vanderkam sort of time tracking study, um, every week, (laughs) which I don't do, but having, having spoken to her recently, I probably will probably 20 to 25 hours a week. Mm. Um, and the main reason for that is I have a son who's very disabled and he needs a lot of care and support. Candidly, I'd love to work more. And at some stage of my life, I may do. And indeed, I work. I enjoy working. Two or three things that work. I am quite ruthless at prioritization. Uh, I have to be. I'm mm-hmm. much more ruthless and better at it now. I have a real constraint than when I was working <laughs> a multiple of those hours. So things that I really enjoy, people I enjoy being with, that's important. Um, uh, activities where I think I have something distinctive to offer mm-hmm. uh, and also where I'm being valued. And value comes back to, um, yes, partly the experience of the individual, but also the monetary aspect too. So yeah. money maximisation is not the aim of the game for me. But when I am spending my time and I know I'm creating value, I expect to be compensated for it. Um, I'm not perfect. I don't have a perfect to-do list. Yes, I have little tactics and habits and so on of uh, c- counting down the things I've done each day um but i'm pretty good now at the no list i mm. cannot do this i get lots of requests either for catch-ups or for types of work that i i definitely could do but the load on you is a lot and now i need to be in a position where i can organise my time not to my schedule on my own, own. i've got to work with other people but as a consultant, you have to be super flexible, drop everything and fly everywhere. I can't do that at the moment. Mm. Um, so I've got to find the, the people who get my life uh, and respect it and, and also people who where there's a chemistry.
1: Mm.
2: Doesn't have to be people like me, by the way, that we just have to have a, a click.
0: Yeah. I'm so happy you mentioned all of that uh, because it's so important to know how to build boundaries and to learn how to say no in a way that doesn't burn bridges and still keeps people interested and so on. But you have to have your priorities right and certainly you do have yours and to be realistic about what is possible for you to do within those boundaries and also what you would like to do, right? Because this is your business. You don't have to say yes to everything just because you could do a project and because it will bring more money, right? But I do appreciate the fact that you said, you know, the financial aspect is important because I see so many coaches who kind of think that the the financial aspect and the helping people aspect somehow need to be separated completely yes. because they
1: do not fit It's like fit a dirty together. word. It's like a dirty exactly. word. But,
2: but if I'm working with a C-suite, a genuine C-suite executive, and she or he is running a multi-million or billion dollar P&L, and I'm charging them a tiny amount of money for work that I know is improving their business or their career, I, I won't be credible.
1: Mm.
2: And actually they'll look at me and say what's going on they may not directly tell me that but uh, your your credibility takes a hit um yeah. just to be clear although i i think i'm pretty smart with my time i think my yield per hour is much much higher than it was in my previous life in terms mm-hmm. of what i achieve um definitely not perfect and secondly it doesn't mean i'm not frustrated you know, i would love to be a keynote speaker flying around the world uh, mm-hmm. and there are moments where i'm like i can definitely do that i've done it many times before but you have to keep saying this is me this is now what am I really good at? And you have to create the little systems in place. And I know you're brilliant at this amongst other things. Systems like when I'm doing my podcast, there's a system on how it, how I produce it. When I'm writing articles, uh, I have a system. I'm not starting from scratch all the time. Mm. And I think people often waste a lot of time by saying, oh, this project, this client, this situation is completely new. And let me just start from a blank sheet of paper. Let me go and, and let's sit outside I'll have a nice cup of coffee for a couple of hours and dream about it. Now, we all need those moments. Mm. But actually, it's going back to your systems in your past and saying, what can I take from what I already do and then build on it? And that saves a lot of time. It doesn't mean you copy-paste.
0: Absolutely. it's It means you use something that works, a structure, and you apply it to many projects, whether those are work-related or even... You know personally in your life that you know that structure would be good for them and that saves time and, and helps you work a little bit more smart and therefore reduce the time that you spend in your business
2: and really just focus on what does the client actually value mm. so i've had a few clients recently where one absolutely loves frameworks and tools and methods right another one doesn't mind them being used but doesn't like them being sent and and so on just that's an aversion but loves little articles that either I I either know the author or I have an angle on it and really immersing yourself in what's the client's style, needs, interests, Uh, not only is good client service, it also means you save time on not sending them or doing stuff that frankly they don't value.
0: We talk about it as if it's, oh yeah, just, uh, you just start your own business and you do it. And uh, the reality is for the listeners who are at the very beginning is that You do quite a lot of trial and error, but then eventually you start learning how your clients work. You start learning how you work and what works best for you, for your family, for your circumstances and so on. And you learn from mistakes, right?
2: And then you
0: don't make those mistakes again if you've learned the lesson and you try something else.
2: I agree with that. But Lisa, you're still going to keep making mistakes, but there'll be new ones. I've had mentors, for example, who've got to a stage of life where it's like I've had my career I'm done I'm now going to impart my wisdom on people and you get stale and out of date pretty quickly so Mm -hmm. my view is yes I'm not going to make the mistakes of the past but if I'm going to grow and try something new and I'm for example designing a course for a client at the moment on impact in the in the c-suite I've not done that before I'll be making a few more mistakes than if I'd carried on just doing team coaching
0: yeah but those are New level mistakes, you know what they say, yeah. new level, new devil, right? You're always going to have a challenge at <laughs> yeah. whatever level you are at. And that is a good sign. It's a sign yeah. that you're still learning, you're still growing, you're not plateauing and so on. But um, yeah, I uh, <laughs> I totally agree. There's, there's mistakes at every level, but then there's the basics that you learn quite quickly yes. and you keep that as a foundation for your business and everything else. You go into it with the mindset of "Well, I am going to make mistakes, but that's okay because I have my bases covered and i'm I'm still learning i'm I'm a lifelong learner and I am mm. of the of the opinion that you always have to stay curious and see see what happens the moment you decide okay, I've had my career I'm going to impart my wisdom on on other people that's when you kind of become obsolete because things change so quickly, technology changes, the way we work yes. changes. Um, maybe the way we view coaching and how coaching is included in organizations and who has access to it will change completely in the next 10 years, maybe even earlier than that. So, mm. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're going to be making mistakes, people, and, uh, we need to, uh, Stay we need to be okay with, with that. Yeah. Mm. Be comfortable with that. I mentioned, uh, earlier that uh, you started your business in the middle of a pandemic, right? That wasn't intentional, obviously. It just so happened that way. Mm -hmm. But um, knowing you um, personally, I know that you have done quite a lot of preparation in anticipation for this move of leaving your job and starting your business. For anyone who is listening, who maybe is contemplating doing the same they are now employed and they want to go full-time in their business what are the things that they need to be aware of or the things that they need to have in place before they make that move
2: so i think if you're if you're like scratching an itch because you want to try something new um a bit like hamina barra the professor at london business school says in her work on career transitions you have to go and play with it and in a way go and um try it out rather than Mm. just read about it and that may be a side hustle a hobby or a project so that's something i did with the coaching for example i took a qualification whilst working so that's one thing you've got to get stuck into something to see whether you like it rather than just leaping on something because somebody else has done it that's one Mm. thing i think um i think the second one would be i think you have to test out some of your ideas not just doing it testing out with potential clients and obviously you have to do that carefully if you're in a in a corporate consultancy role you can't be poaching clients and and i clearly didn't uh but you have to i think talk to people about what their value whether your ideas sit with them um again that's part of the testing process Mm. i think you also have to work out what you are up for in terms of risk Mm. i've seen a number of people in corporates Organization big organizations and consultancies um, struggle at the beginning of setting their own business because effectively you're facing more risk um, you're you're leaving behind a big organization that you probably moan about but a big organization with a title um, something you know something you're good at and then you're leaping into this new space where yes your old brand will help you you'll have clients that you hope will come with you at some point and so forth but it's still a risk. So the question is, you know, are you the type of person that is up for a risk of going from a corporate, say, to becoming a solopreneur? Um, then there's the practical stuff, which I think many people miss out. Um, you wouldn't because this is part of your heritage, but you've got to do your numbers. Mm. Yeah, What what do you need to live on? What do you expect? And what does that mean in terms of your run rate? Um, i had quite a few <laughs> quite a few people in the first few weeks i think with kindness uh, phoning me up and saying previous colleagues and so on in my network saying i've got a few clients if you want them i can probably put them your way and it was very nice i thought like i've been working how many years 24 years i put some money aside funnily enough and so i wasn't really desperate to just grab onto anything mm-hmm. um and but the the serious point is I think you've got to work out in your first year, two years, how much do you actually really need to make? And that's a, if I like a detailed calculation. Mm. A lot of people say, oh, it's this number. It's like have you gone through each element? And it's the bit where you think, oh, God, it's really boring and so on. But once you do that, it actually gives you freedom in many cases, or mm. it gives you a target. So for mm. me, candidly, given where I was, my background, the role I used to have, maximizing the number of clients in the first year was not a goal. Mm -hmm. Um, and all those people who approach you saying, I can get your pipeline up to 30 clients a a week and so on. You know, those people are really annoying people. Mostly, I'm (laughs) like, no, it's not me. So actually I spent time developing my brand, still playing a bit, meeting people. And then I then set myself a financial target and said, right, this is what I'm going to go for. But I needed that time after I left, even with the planning I talked about, to still play a bit is the first opportunity I had in years to actually breathe. Um, as my sister said to me, and she's a psychiatrist, deinstitutionalize yourself a bit, sort of yeah. come out of the system, <laughs> right? Um, uh, play a bit and then explore.
1: Mm.
2: And then also work out what people want from you, which the hard bit is in many cases, in my case, including, it's different from what you were doing before.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's it's very hard to kind of start to detach yourself. Um, I mean, I was only an employee for five years, and it was hard for me to detach myself from that role. I can only imagine what it's like for people who have been an employee for a longer period of time, and all of a sudden mm. now they are they are a business owner. But... Since we're talking about the the mindset of of a business owner, in a previous podcast interview that I listened to, you mentioned that when you were made partner, it was very important that you had a business owner mindset. Um, What do you mean by that? For our listeners, what is a business owner mindset?
2: So in that case, I mean, I I functionally was a business owner because I had equity. Um, But it's around value creation. Now, that may sound like a couple of buzzwords, but it's I'm not just doing my job, serving clients, doing good work. Of course, I hope I was. But it's actually how am I increasing the value of the organization by doing what I am? So when you're admitted to a partner in any organization, and I did a lot of partner interviews, uh, one of the questions is about how are you adding something to the partnership, not just being, if you like, another number on the partnership or adding adding cost. Mm -hmm. So the mindset is, Am I bringing in new clients? Am I delivering different services? Am I monetizing in a different way, as opposed to just being another another person on the factory line? That's the mm. difference for me.
0: Yeah, and now you've taken that into your own business when you when you started it. Mm. How do you think that helped you? Like, give us a, a specific example of how having that mindset helped you. When you started your own business?
2: I think it helps to have a healthy degree of humility Mm -hmm. because um, moving from director to partner, you're still senior in an organization and the most effective partners I've seen is, okay, I'm not starting from scratch, but I've in a way, I've got to prove myself to my clients that I'm worth it now, as opposed to a sense of entitlement. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm a partner here or now I'm a coach. Um, I deserve it. That is unhelpful. Um, so the specific example would be where I had to, um, when a client asks some simple questions, like what do you do and what value are you going to give to me? I had to recreate a pitch at a level. It's much more personal than before. It's me in mm-hmm. that case. It's me. It's not a team. It's not a brand. It's not an organization. It's like, and if I win and if I lose that mandate, it, there's no one else. Yeah. And so I think the mindset is hung, a degree of hunger, uh, a large degree of clarity. This is what I will do for you. And this is the benefits I think I will see. Um, and then also recognizing that, you know, if you're going to be a business owner, there's going to be some risk to it. You're going to have some you win and some lose. And I think some people who struggle having not been in a, I'll use the term sales, if I may, may, a sales environment. I know that's a Ooh, dreadful sales. word. sales. Yeah, <laughs> to, dreadful word. Sales environment. Um, the idea of having, you know, uh, a pipeline that's not particularly healthy or losing it becomes deeply personal very quickly mm. because they haven't faced it before whereas i think now i've had some clients who I haven't worked with they haven't chosen me or vice versa and as long as that's not all the time i think you say right you have to then go through a process of okay was it fit was it how i performed you go through that self-review in a way that's quite um structured Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that owner mindset is I'm trying to create value for them, trying to create value for me. Um, Have I got the right pitch in place? Am I listening effectively? And I'm reviewing what I'm what I'm doing afterwards.
1: Yeah,
0: I think it's really important that you are able to separate that value that you create as a separate entity than you yourself and your value as a person. Right. Um, Mm. I see so many business coaches, let's call them or whatever, uh, giving the advice of, um, well, you should charge what you are worth and you should know your worth. And I'm like, well, it's not really about your worth. I understand where they're coming from, that you have some years of experience behind you and you've done a qualification and you have a certain track record of helping clients and so on. But that is not your worth as an individual. That is the the worth of the value that you can offer, in my opinion, because then if you get rejected, they did not reject you as David or Alisa. They just rejected that value that you wanted to deliver because maybe it wasn't for them, right? It wasn't what they wanted at that point in time, or they could not afford it. But that doesn't mean that you are now a bad coach or a bad professional or that you are worth less than someone who maybe charges more, right? No, it's the value that they're offering that is worth more in the eyes of that client because there's there's very little intrinsic value right if i have this uh this coaching offer that i am selling to both uh, a ceo and to uh, a recent graduate they're going to value it in a very different way
2: yes i agree and probably
0: the ceo will value it more because it's going to bring a lot more to their business and revenue and to, to their own Um, skills as a a CEO, whilst as the the graduate maybe just goes over their head because they have nothing to do with it at this stage in their career, right? Mm. So the graduate will pay pennies for it or nothing. They don't want it. And then the CEO will pay a lot more, but the offer is the same and it has nothing to do with my value, right? I can only bring value to something which then takes a form of its own. And that's what people accept or reject, not necessarily me as a person.
2: I agree. And so I think when you've had a request for some form of coaching, or you potentially some coaches approach people, you really have to invest the time in answering those questions about value to them. Mm -hmm. I think many coaches are quite self self absorbed. Um, And also think about not only value, but differentiation. And the Mm -hmm. the competition is not only from other coaches, but it's also internally, and Mm -hmm. the individual. I remember there was one mandate at the beginning when I moved, when I moved across to this portfolio which I didn't get and I'm still a bit I still wonder about it but I looked at the the senior exec's profile and it was quite similar to mine. Mm-hmm. And yeah I know who he went with in the end and that coach candidly was the CV was not as strong and they and they told me separately it wasn't as strong but that coach had a different profile mm-hmm. so he brought a different perspective on business life and different approaches. And so for them, it was a d- different experience, whereas we probably would have been, would have buttered up against each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all about detaching yourself from the outcome and looking with a clear mind and saying, okay, so this proposal was not accepted. Why do I think that was? And yeah. do I want to continue to approach clients that have this profile in the future or not? And is there anything that I need to change? And, uh, you know, if, if you can get feedback, that's even better. But yeah, I am I am so against uh, knowing your worth and charging your worth because I think it just devalues people. And um, it, especially for new coaches, it makes them scared and it makes them charge a lot less than what they could because they have imposter syndrome at the beginning and because they think, well, what I'm offering here is not so valuable if they if they can detach themselves then it's not about them and how much experience they have and and so on Mm. um so for someone who has been an employee for a very long time and they now want to cultivate this business owner mindset that we've been talking about for the last few minutes what advice do you have for them
2: i would look for adjacent or immediate opportunities in your role that are more entrepreneurial. So look around you, look at the the projects that are around you, potentially roles that are nearby, which have either more financial responsibility or perhaps something around the growth agenda of the organization. But they're not, and I'm, I'm caricaturing somebody as a manager, but just for an example, but where you are actually encouraged to create value, to create something new and put your hand up. It may only be 20% of your time. It may not be a full-time switch. But again, it's part of that experimentation mindset, and in a relatively safe space, same organisation, you know the people. Um, try it out, uh, and I think you'll soon realise whether you think, absolutely, I love, I love the white space. I can, I can move into. I love the. Um, the, the exploration that i can do in terms of whether it's searching for new customers developing new products creating new sources of value um, or you might say actually that's not me but try something a- around you as a starting point in a safer environment um, and then go from there mm.
1: that
0: sound advice i like, do it before you make the jump right do it in your role right now and see if it's for you test the waters um maybe sometimes you can go part-time in yeah some people
2: go part I mean, that's quite a big move again you you have to think what that means not only financially but in terms of your career um Mm -hmm. but i think there are there are a number of routes So part-time is one um experiments another um, potentially doing a succoment elsewhere to another territory or to another to, to another market. Um, you could be shadowing people. I've seen people shadow people who have more entrepreneurial roles and say, "When you're in these meetings, I'd like to join you um, mm. to sort of learn from you." Um, yeah. Tr- just try. The point is, try something. Do something. Um, I've seen some people not do that experimentation. Just say, "I just want to change." I've had mm. enough. I want to change. And it does succeed for some people, not that many. It comes back to um, how big is your motivation? How quickly do you want to move? And in a way, how bad or toxic is the environment you're in? Those considerations frame, I think, the the scale of change that you're up for and the pace of it. Yeah. But in most cases, leaping, leaping to something radically new is a bad move in most cases. Yeah. especially if you've been long term, because you will be, as I said, institutionalized to a degree, and you won't realize it.
1: Yeah, you know, The
2: language you use, the pace you work at. I mean, if you're in big corporates, the number of meetings you have to have before the meeting, whereas if you're an entrepreneur, about you, you're making micro decisions every day. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I've absolutely loved. I haven't had to ask permission from somebody to, to spend this amount of money or do this. Um, there's no committee to go to. I miss some of my colleagues, of course. But now yeah. you're making micro decisions that's quite a shift. I don't know about you, that's quite a shift of day in, day out. Do I do it myself? Does somebody else do it for me? Do I focus here? Do I focus there? Whereas if you're in a company, there is, whether you realize it or not, there is a machine that you're part of. Mm. And the machine will carry on operating without you. So you need to extradite yourself carefully.
0: Yeah. I, I love that you, you mentioned, um, you know, some of the things that people need to be aware of when they... Are removed from that machine, which, yeah, by the way, it will function perfectly without us. And um, it's maybe a a kind of like a, I don't know, a, a hit of the ego when you go away and you're thinking, oh, you know i've done such a great job and now who's going to do that job for me and you know two years later five years later the the company's still there and it's going fine no, they didn't
2: miss a beat um, they may they may admire what you did at the time mm. but if it's a higher high or good performing organization there'll be plenty of other people champing in the bit to to go into your role and i think that the one thing i'd add to a couple of your questions i'm early so is around i think you have to be kind to yourself in the in these transitions Mm. Uh, and I say that with real sincerity as much as you can plan it structure it learn from others there'll be bumpy times where and I had it where I thought so I've lost my title when people say what do you do David and I had my pitch and I lost I was a senior partner in a big organization you lose it yeah well and there will be people who lose you or you lose them as a Mm. result because their association is as much to the organization if not more than to you, and that goes for colleagues, network people in your network, and indeed clients. So the, there'll be gulp moments. I remember having a few. I thought, "What have I done? Yes, I know what I'm trying to do, but I've the identity I had is is going or gone, and what I'm creating is very nebulous. Mm. Uh, and that that sort of that moment is quite a delicate moment where you have to go back to your beliefs keeps making small steps forward. And hopefully having a group of people around you, doesn't have to be many, who just believe in you. So keep going, keep going, you're a good person. But anybody who says that they can plan this perfectly um, in a very clear project plan and every step is very predictable and so on, I mean, they just, you know, come on, they're probably smoking something. It's not true. (laughs) There will be moments where you go, what have I done, should I keep doing it? And being comfortable with the discomfort.
0: Mm. Since you mentioned that, um, if you were to to do this transition again, knowing what you know, now, is there anything that you would do differently?
2: Well, I had quite a long transition, which is in part whenever whenever a partner leaves that the notice period is long it's a year. um, Mm. And there's a lot of restrictions around it. I think I would have within those restrictions been more active Mm -hmm. in not doing anything surreptitious but in that testing phase that you're encouraged when you leave an organization depending on whether it's two weeks in the US or a year in other places to sort of put your head down and be quiet uh Mm -hmm. and sort of bow out gracefully as well as well as having a nice leaving party I think I would have probably been more active in my wider network earlier Mm -hmm. uh, because when I then resurfaced it didn't take a lot of effort but they weren't as warm as they could have been, so that's that's one thing. I think the other thing would be not feeling as I had to prove people, create lots of proof points very early. It's mm-hmm. so, like, well, okay, so on a long-term view of life, I've been out for a year of a working career that will be however many thirty, forty years. It's a blip. At the mm-hmm. at that time, it felt like forever because in a consultancy career is very fast paced. It's very demanding. Um, So there's something around just trusting yourself to just, as I said, breathe, take a bit of space and realize that your self-worth, to your point earlier, your self-worth is not diminishing because you're not hitting a target for the next few months.
0: Absolutely. That's very sound advice. And uh, I'm sure many people listening to this will nod or go, wow, I didn't I didn't realize that, but uh, I'm going to do it now. So thank you for, for sharing that. Um, what's next for you, David? What are you excited about in your business?
2: I I need to and want to, these are different words, write a book. And uh, we're both part of a community where everyone seems to have been writing a book or, or yeah. books. And I feel like the laggard, I feel like the... Person who's behind, even though I'm probably one of the older ones in in well probably not probably mid mid age in that group so there's what what I'm excited by and troubled by <laughs> the troubling <laughs> bit is there's a big voice in my head says, "Get on with it, you should have written a book ages ago." What I'm excited by is is what' holding my nerve to work at it at the right time for me and when the ideas come and I don't have a shortage of content ideas. I've written quite a lot. I speak about quite a lot, but rather than trying to force it and rather than trying to say, oh, I need to be on this juggernaut of, come on, publish, publish, publish. I'm excited by, on a good day, by just playing around with some ideas, testing them with some article, obviously writing shorter articles, um, working with particular clients to test them and then putting something out there that I think will matter. So I'm excited by that project. And i'm I'm really enjoying learning the craft of it but from others. Um, so I'm excited by that. Um, I think the other one would be i I've got a few there's certain individuals I'd love to work with um, now and and some of them I don't know, so I'm excited by the prospect of a pursuit. Mm -hmm. whether i work with them per se or not the idea of actually searching for the clients i really want to work with rather than just the clients who come to me no disrespect to the clients who do um but aiming (laughs) that a little bit higher so those are two things on my on on my agenda
0: that's really exciting i mean both of them are um both the uh, the book which uh, i'm looking forward to reading whenever whenever that comes out and um the um i don't know the the thrill of the a chase? How can I call it? Uh, I have the same thing. Like, you discover someone and like, that is amazing. but for me, it's not so much clients, but organizations, uh, or companies that I want to work with in a particular way or deliver something for them. And to think about how you can approach that and to, to do that with enthusiasm, knowing that, you know, whatever the result is, you've grown as a yes, as that's a beautiful. consequence of that and you've probably made some connections whether you end up working with those people or not they're going to be keeping you on their radar probably and i have had people come to me two years after we've had a conversation saying things have changed now let's resume the conversation that we had two years ago about this because maybe now we're more ready for it so that's, yeah, that's really beautiful. exciting I well look that's brilliant. To you, it's more. brilliant
2: you have that mindset and brilliant you can take that longer perspective because i think Sometimes when I and others I know have been more fixated about uh, a position, a target, um, when you don't get there at the right pace and the right way, it gets very frustrating. Mm. But I think you can, again, it's reframing it. Um, So yes, at the moment, I'm probably going through a, I don't have enough time to invest in writing a book for for a number of both professional and personal reasons. Okay. Okay. Um, you know the rational part of me says okay that's not going to happen wait for the time being the other part of me says how can I find a different way through it mm. and I quite like that tension uh, mm. I like enough I mean, you know what excites me when I'm dealing with really complex um, questions mm. that not necessarily haven't been solved before because say every every question every book's been written every question's been answered before but when I feel I can go into a situation and I've, I feel I've got enough of a sense of an answer, I know they could, they could get to an answer pretty quickly. That mm. doesn't excite me at all. Mm. And so I, I like that feeling of partly tension, partly stretch, partly discomfort, but again, it's about how much I don't want my whole life to be really, really difficult all the time. So I need yeah. foundations and systems in place that make the, the boring, dull, repetitive stuff work in order to create the space, to do the fun, cool, different, innovative, whatever the things that really excite me.
0: Yeah. And that's what having your own business should be like, right? That's the goal.
2: (laughs) That's the goal. And on a good day, it is. On a good day. We all have bad days as well.
0: Yeah, we do. But um, hey, it's about reframing it and how you look at everything, right?
2: That's absolutely right.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing everything you've shared with us, David. We are so much wiser and better informed because of it.
2: Thank you for your questions and wonderful conversation, Lisa. Thank you.
0: You just finished listening to an episode of the Coaching for a Living podcast. Did you know that you can send me an audio message directly? Check out the show notes for a link that allows you to do that. You can use it to send in a question you have about building a coaching business or to simply share your impressions about the podcast and any suggestions for what content you'd like me to cover in the future. I cannot wait to hear from you. Again, check out the show notes for the link and who knows, maybe I'll feature your message in a future episode. All right, that's it for today. I'm Alisa Barkan and I'll catch you next time.